Thank you for having me back on the show. And um, once again, it's a pleasure. And uh, we're talking about something that I find uh, fascinating. Um, uh, going back to my bio and, um, you know, some of the things that I'm uh, noted for, I am the Michigan uh, lead investigator for the North American Dogman Project, which basically means that anytime we have a sightings report that someone reports into the North American Dogman Project. Uh, that report gets, if it's Michigan, it gets sent to me. Um, other states have other chapter heads um, who do their investigating, but uh, if it's Michigan, I get the, the email um, as it is, and um, they send me whatever, whatever the eyewitness statement is or a report that was made to them. It's, you know, that's what um, they send to me, and then uh, before I do anything else, I send out a questionnaire to um, the person, and usually nine times out of ten, I don't get a response back. Um, because really? people, I, I don't know if it's, I know at least two of the reports that I've received over the last five years have been hoaxes, mm-hmm. and um, one was a 
drawing of a stick figure that looked like a, a dog, like splashing somebody um, with a trench coat. And the other one was actually when you when you clicked on it with your your cell phone, it it didn't take you to a link. But if you clicked on it from like your laptop, then it took you to a picture of a exposed dog's penis. Oh, and so wonderful. I'm like, yeah, that's a that's a hoax. And I'm like, you guys really need to, you know, check these out before you send them to your investigators, because I don't, you know, th- this does nothing for for research. Um, but then we do get some interesting reports from people who are like, hey, not quite sure what I saw. I don't think it was Bigfoot, uh, but I don't know what else to describe it as. And here is the description. And, you know, I, I read through these reports with a, with a fine tooth comb because I don't like to be hoaxed. I don't like to waste my time investigating hoaxes. So uh, as I read through these reports, uh, I'm looking for, you know, detail, you know, the size of the creature, the color of the creature, how it interacted with them. Did it, did it stop and it, did it watch you from the other side of the road? Did it try to pursue you? Did it, it disappear, you know, into the woods as soon as it crossed the road and, and didn't want any interactions with you? And so these are things that I'm looking at in reports. So uh, when we're talking about the Michigan dog man, you know, these are things that I'm looking for. And when we're talking about dog man, I always like to set the record straight from my point of view and from my research. And that is a dog man is a upright walking bipedal creature. It is always in a canine form, whether it's, whether it chooses to walk on four legs or two legs, um, because it's been documented that they can do both. Uh, canine, you know, regular dogs can be trained to do both. Uh, when you, when you, wolf, I'm sorry, when you say in canine form. We, yeah, it, it always it is always a canine. It is always a dog. But I guess what I'm getting at is the hind legs. Are they are they always uh, with the? I don't know that saying bent in the back. The angulation. Back, yeah, is, is are those reported in almost all the cases, or are, are there more? Because some of the cases that I've read, they differ. They differ between you know just being like human legs. Only longer, more, uh, more toned, more, more lean, and skinnier. I guess you would say. And then, then there's the ones that you read that they say they're angular and they, you know, they look like they're bent backwards. Yeah, the, um, what we look for is some angulation because when we're when we're finding tracks um, or you know foot tracks um, prints, we are what we see is a large canine print and it. For it to qualify as a dog, as an adult dog man, it has to be six inches plus. I see. So if you, you know, Mastiffs and Great Danes have pretty big paw prints. Newfoundland, St. Bernard's, um, anything that is of um, that uh, um, nature, you know, being of the Mastiff lineage, uh, they have really big paws. So in order for us to look at it and say, nope, this is not a, a wolf or a, a massive type breed. It has to be six inches or bigger. Okay, so when we're talking about Dogman, you know, Dogman is incredibly similar in, in uh, description to what most of us would recognize as a werewolf. 
So, so this is, this is uh, going back to uh, my distinctions between the two or between all of them. So Dogman is always a canine creature. It is always dog-like in appearance, whether it's standing, whether it's on all fours. A werewolf is a superstition, uh, folklore-based creature that is half human, half dog, or half wolf. Um, your Rougarou falls into this category. Um, your seventh son of the seventh year, uh, born on uh, the seventh day, falls under that superstition. That is a werewolf. Wolf man is a Hollywood creation. Um, very similar to werewolf, but it's it's their uh, monkeyer for you know a a you know the 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 monster cast um, that you know they developed years ago with uh, Frankenstein and Dracula and the Mummy. Um, right. You know, Wolfman falls right in there. So we have those. You know, we have those differences. But then you get people who think um, I saw a show a couple of months ago where the the show host was trying very hard. To convince people that dogmen were werewolves, but also skinwalkers. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> a skinwalker is a Native American shaman, usually uh, from the southwestern, you know, United States, who has chosen to pursue black magic or dark magic, right. and willingly turn themselves into another creature in order to put curses or inflict um, ill will towards others. So a skinwalker is not a werewolf. It's not a dogman. It is a human, a shaman of Native American descent who has chosen as part of their religious ceremonies, as part of their um, Native American ceremonies, to pursue what we would call the dark side. A few episodes back, I had uh, interviewed a a native American witch and in her explanation of, uh, skinwalkers and I guess here locally in the, in the Southern part of Michigan, um, they refer to them also as bear walkers that originally the act of being able to skinwalk was not used for nefarious purposes. It was actually at one point in time, something that was deemed a a positive thing. And it wasn't until people started using it and corrupting it to that it's become the, what it is now, which is always associated with something nefarious. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, it changes from tribe to tribe and from region to region. Mm -hmm. So in the Southwest, it is, they don't even really talk about the skinwalkers. It's very, um, it's, a, it's a no-no subject. Right. Um, yeah. And they don't want you talking about the skinwalkers, and they don't want you talking about the Wendigo either because it said if you talk about these creatures, it invites them in. Right. Now, Wendigo, depending on the region of the country you are in, depends on the shape that it takes. So in the Southwest, we know that there were remains found in caves of human beings that had been gnawed on and legend and tradition says that these red haired giants mm-hmm. were the cannibals who would capture human beings, take them back to the state and eat them. But in the Northern part of the country, you know, the, the uh, American Canadian border, 
um, Great Lakes, you know, going up into Canada, we have a, you know, we have a different um, aspect of the Wendigo, and that is it's a human being who becomes possessed by the Wendigo and then is is filled with this insatiable hunger right, right. Um, where they, they are killing and eating anything that they can get their hands on. And if they can't, they're eating their own lips, they're eating their own fingers. Um, and to me, when it, when it, you know, becomes that aspect, it's, it's, it's a possession. It's, it's a parasitic possession that takes over the person and controls them and makes them believe that they're filled with this hunger. It's very, it's of spiritual nature. Um, and so we have, you know, we have different classifications for dog man, werewolf, wolf man, skinwalkers, and Wendigo. They are all separate entities. Um, I don't know how many people caught the new Expedition X episode that happened last week, but here's Josh Gates showing this picture of a taxidermied wolf that um, was hoaxed and was proven a hoax because you can actually see the the limb bones um, of the front legs. You can see the where the fur has fallen off. <laughs> and he's showing this picture, and he's calling it a werewolf. And then he's going to uh, Wisconsin to Bray Road to look for the beast of were- Bray Road, and he's calling it a werewolf. Yeah. Now, um, to me, he didn't do his due diligence. And he drank the Kool-Aid just like everybody else. Uh, to me, it was it was very negative that he didn't have um, one of the foremost experts on the Beast of Bear Road, Linda Godfrey. Yeah. Uh, he he didn't interview her, and she's written all the books on it. She's collected all the reports. She's sure. done all yeah. the books on the ground investigations. And so here you have on the TV show, you know, on one TV show, they're they're trying to convince everybody that the dog man is a skinwalker, and I'm like, no, no, uh, no. Especially if you're going back to Wisconsin to the Bray Road and you're trying to tell everybody that that's a skinwalker. No, it's a dog man. And then on, on Josh's show, it's they're, they're calling it, you know, a werewolf. And it's like, okay, really, you guys need to educate yourself. You need to talk to the people who actually do the investigating and do the research and do boots on the ground, you know, going investigating these reports and who know the difference between all three before you do a show. And, of course, it's Hollywood, and they want, you know, they, they want that wow factor. But and in since, terms, right. I'm sorry. And since you brought that up, I, I want to take just a moment and, and do a little rant of my own. Any of us that are interested in these kind of phenomena, these kind of creatures, these kind of cryptid beings, these these things that are barely proven not recognized by science we've got a tough enough road when it comes to discussing this stuff without having people look at you with a turned eye or you know the the scoff at you Um, Uh but then we have to deal with you know and and i'm guilty of this because you know i i want so much to turn on the television sometime and find one of these shows that does it right but time and time again, they do it wrong. You know, as far as Sasquatch goes, uh, Les Stroud, the Survivor Man series that he did alone outside of his uh, two-hour special that he did with Todd Standing, I think is phenomenal. He did great work. He stays unbiased and a terrific look at that phenomenon. 
but you know, finding Bigfoot and expedition Bigfoot and you know, the, the Josh Gates show. I, I love Josh Gates. I think oh, he'd I, be I a, absolutely, I love Josh too. I think and, it'd be a hoot to hang out with, but God mm-hmm. damn it. Do it right, man. You know, don't, yeah. don't, don't pile more shit on top of what we have to deal with on a daily basis talking about and, subjects. And, and the thing that kind of annoyed me the most is the photo that he was showing at the beginning of the show that, that popped up about two years ago, maybe three mm-hmm. and was within days proven a hope because you could, you could clearly see that it was taxidermied. You could clear, you can clearly see the bones showing with no flesh on these. I, I, I could see if it was a dog rearing up and had a broken leg or had been hit by a car and you would see the, the, the damage to the leg. But there, there's no flesh on these bones. There's not even hair on these bones. And so there's nothing holding this leg together other than the taxidermy work. And he's, he's bringing this, you know, photo back into the limelight. And it's like, oh my gosh, for two years, this is laid to rest and, and has improved, you know, that was a hoax. And now you've brought it back into the limelight. And now people are once again going to be passing this around from groups of, oh, look at this evidence I found. No, that is a proven hoax picture. And he says, you know, I'm not even going to say the guy's name who took the picture, but he says, oh, he doesn't want to do interviews anymore. Yes, because he was proven to be a hoaxer. <laughs> That's why he doesn't want to be on TV. That's why he doesn't want to answer anyone's questions, because he was proven to be a hoaxer. And he got, you know, he got schooled for it. So I, I could see if it was, you know, evidence or a, a photo that somebody had sent him. And, you know, said, hey, you know, this is, this is, you know, real. I, I took this picture, but no, they, one of his producers or somebody found this picture and is like, oh, here's our proof. You know, and it's like, no, that has been proven to be a hoax. Uh, yeah. And that's know, the, that's the problem with these shows are the producers. Yeah. The producers are the ones that, that fabricate or formulate the, the wow, what the holy, what was that? You know, they're the ones that formulate all that for the for the people that are watching the show. So they're like, "Oh my god, oh my god, I can't wait till they come back from commercial and show me that nothing happened." Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just it's it's very frustrating. And you know, last year when they 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 did an episode on the Mothman and they were trying to say that the Lake Michigan Mothman was the real one and the West Virginia one was the fake one. It was it was skydivers. I'm like, no, I I think you have that mixed up because I, I think that the Lake Michigan Mothman are, are a whole lot of hoaxes that somebody's pumping, you know, a lot of um, interest into because it fuels their research. Right. So, but, but back to Dogman. Yes. Um, so we have these, you know, we have these, they are very individual, you know, when, when you're talking about Dogman compared to Wendigo, very separate. Um, when you're talking Wendigo, you know, compared to a werewolf or a skinwalker, very separate. And, and, you know, people need to know this because when we're, we're collecting reports, when we're talking to people, it's important to know the details so that you know what you're looking for, so that you know what you're researching. Because a lot of people, when they, when they think back on that Bigfoot sighting that they had, they're like, um, well, tell me this, does, 
does a Bigfoot have a, a, a snout? No. Oh, okay. Um, do, do they have like a domed head? Yes, they have a domed head. Okay, do they have visible ears? No. They don't have a tail either. So, you know, with Bigfoot, you're, you're looking at a upright, upright walking, you know, ape. When you're thinking dog, man, think of a uh, dog or a um, husky, you know, mm-hmm. best case, you know, best uh, description. Uh, but I, I have heard, you know, um, reports where it looks like a coonhound too, but it's walking on its back legs and walking very, very well on its back legs. You know, there, there's videos if you, if you go on YouTube and um, type in walking dog, you'll see it's, it's a huge fad in Asian countries where mm-hmm. they take these um, uh, poodle mixes, these doodles, mm-hmm. as we call them here, I and they, they right train <laughs> them. They, they train them from like 12 weeks old to walk on their back legs. Yeah. And then they dress them up like children and they walk them around, you know. And it's, it's very, you know, to them it's very cute and they, you know, they do it for photos and stuff like that. But it's, it's very hard on the dog. Sure. And, um, but a lot of these dogs get so good at it because they're forced to do it for so long that they walk better than a, than a human child. So it's, you know, something to, to look into. But then you have this factor that bears can walk on their hind legs too. Right. So you have to throw, you have that element in there. If, if you have a really big black bear who can walk on his back legs, he kind of throws off the whole, you know, profile description too, because he has a snout, he has ears, but he has a rounded butt like, you know, a Bigfoot would have, but no tail. And, 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 and a, a, a posture that doesn't necessarily fit the description as well. You know, right. when, and when you so, see a bear standing up, it, it has more of a pot-bellied uh, posture yeah. to it. And, and that, that, but if, but if they've if they've become acclimated to walking, there there was a bear in New Jersey who was he was known for walking on his back legs um, because he had, I think he had hurt one of his front legs, so he had just become very acclimated to walking on his back legs. His body shape was actually kind of different from the other black bears because of the way that his organs and his joints had rearranged, mm. and he you know, had more of a streamlined figure, but he had become so used to walking on his hind legs that that was his mode of transportation. Why walk on, on three legs and, and be awkward when you can, you can learn how to walk on, on two legs. And if you do it smooth enough, you're, you can, you have your mobility back. Nature finds a way. Yeah. I mean, that, that basically is, is it in a nutshell? Nature finds a way. If something is capable of moving, continuing to move uh, effectively and it's normally a four-legged creature dogs adapt very well to having only three legs yeah yep it, it does um now certain breeds you know of dog are, are um like the doodles um you know they they can do it very easily and um belgian melanoids can do it really easily but you wouldn't see something like a a bulldog doing it just because of the the way their bodies are, are, you know, proportioned and, um, you know, bulldogs, bulldogs shuffle along as it is anyways. Um, you certainly wouldn't see that with a bulldog or a Pekingese or, or something like that, um, or a basset hound. But, you know, these dogs that have, you know, these more mobile, um, hip joints, they can, they can do this. And, 
the, the actual dog man, when we're saying he can go from bipedal to four-legged, um, it depends on what he's hunting or what he is trying to accomplish. What do you find most of the, uh, most of the reports? Do they, do they mostly show standing upright or, or is there a combination? Is there um, one that's more prevalent the, than the other? So mo- most of the time when people are seeing what they, what they is, um, report as being a dog van, it's, falls under two scenarios. Either it's a hunting strategy, and this is where um, it's probably going to spook you guys, but so raise of hands, even though we're, we're all individual, and I can't see you raising hands, how many people, if they were driving down the road and it's kind of getting dusk, and you saw a dog limping along the side of the road, how many of us would pull over and, and try to get the dog, rescue it, and, and see if we can help it? Sure. I know I would. So almost, almost everyone, if you saw a dog, you know, even a big dog limping down the side of the road, uh, how many of us wouldn't even hesitate to pull over and, hey, puppy, come here, you know, let me help you. Now, most of the time, it's, it's probably going to be a dog. But there are these circumstances where the dog man has learned that that is the perfect trap to catch a human being. Aren't the, are, the, are they not noticing the, the, the size of of this canine is, is remarkably larger than what it normally should be. Well, but, but you know, we, we do have gigantism in certain breeds. So when you're looking at, because a, a dog man would, would look very similar to a large giant size Alaskan Malamute. That's a good point. Or, you know, some of these coonhound breeds, massive breeds, great Dane breeds, you know, they are very large. You know, they're very, you know, easy to see. But, you know, that's if you're dealing with an adult. But what if it's a juvenile that, you know, is part of the hunting pack and its job is to limp along the side of the road to make somebody stop? Mm-hmm. For an ambush. Or make people walking down a trail stop and try to help it. So the others and can ambush it. My, yes. And my theory is it's the dogmen that you don't see that you have to worry about. You might see the one and you think, oh, it's a sole predator. That's not the case with canines. Canines work better in a pack. Doesn't matter the size of the dog, there is safety in numbers, there is strength in numbers, and it's easier to take down a large predator, a fast predator, a smart predator. It's easier for them to do this as a pack. They can take down a deer. They can take down wild hog. They can take down a human being. They might, you know, the only thing that they might have a hard time catching would be a, a rabbit because of the smaller, faster size, and it can go underground. Mm. You know, when when I'm looking at these eyewitness reports, people are they they are either reporting, okay, I saw something moving along the side of the road, and it looked like a really big dog to me, um, but I wasn't sure. And you know, the area that I was in, I I assumed it was. You know, maybe a coyote, maybe a wolf, because most people from the city, they, you know, they don't have a comprehension of what the size of a wolf is, what the size of a coyote is. I know here where I live, um, the coyotes are the same size as our German shepherds. And um, actually the the breeding pair that was uh, uh, making its territory near my home actually looks like our female German shepherd to the point where 
uh, I saw it out the window and our shepherds are never supposed to be loose because they will, they will chase after things. So I'm in a panic because I thought she was loose. So I'm going outside calling and this coyote's like, nope, nope. And then I see, then as I, you know, as I'm looking back into the house, I see our German, our female German shepherd on the other side of the door wall. And I'm like, you are not our dog. Uh, you are the coyote. So, but a lot of people, they would, you know, seeing a dog of that size, they would think, oh, this is a domestic German Shepherd. Well, no, that is actually a, a, you know, coyote through and through. Um, But she's the same size, it's the same size as my uh, 90 pound German Shepherd. A wolf is that much bigger or bigger. Well, I've seen I've seen coyotes down here in the in the southern part of the state, and and their size does not get too remarkable. I have seen some photographs from some of my friends who have been out hunting and have uh, eradicated a couple per farmer's request that are pretty substantial in size. I have in the Upper Peninsula witnessed at about twenty five feet. Through through a plate glass window, <laughs> I'll add that <laughs> a uh, a very large, very intimidating gray wolf, mm-hmm. and I was absolutely shocked at the the breadth of its shoulders, its height, it, its just overall size was it was astounding. I had no idea. And the people I was with, they all they all agreed that you know it, it was it was on the large side for what you normally see up there, but boy, I'm telling you what, I am glad that that window was between us because that was an intimidating looking beast. Mm-hmm. So a lot, you know, if the dog man is on all fours and it's a a juvenile or a sub adult that is you know part of the the pack, you know, hunting protocol and people are driving past it, you're going to, your mind is going to say that is, that is either a husky, a German shepherd, a coyote or a wolf, but you're not going to think dog man because it's on all fours. Now the kicker is when people are driving by a field and they see them crouch down and they are eating something. I either get, you know, it was crouching down, it was eating roadkill or it was eating something in the field and I could tell that it wasn't a regular dog or I was driving past and this dog just, it, it looked weird. It was big and it, it, you know, was watching me as I drove past and I got a weird feeling and I just, I, I wasn't going to stop, see if it had a collar on or something. You know, I just left it be. So those are the two reports that I mostly get is either people witness the dog, you know, in a, in a, alongside the road or in a field and it's walking on all fours and they're thinking, okay, this must be either one of those breeds that looks wolf-like or it's a coyote or a wolf, or they're actually seeing it after it's, it's caught something and is eating it, or they've, they found roadkill, fresh roadkill, and they're pulling it off and, you know, uh, consuming it. So what are what are we dealing with? Are we dealing with a uh, some kind of strange chimera type half man? You know, because when we talk about dog man, you've got dog mm-hmm. as the first part and man as the second part. So you know, at the point that I didn't 
I don't even really know that there was a time that I didn't really know about the subject, but you know, maybe like the first time you hear dog man, you're going to think, okay, body structure, like a man, probably larger, but built like a, a football linebacker with a, a canine head. Right. Um, right. So are we, that, are we, you know, that's, that's, that's where we're getting the, the man part is because they're for lack of a better, um, focal point, they, they are upright standing and it's basically, you know, a human shape, humanoid shape with canine characteristics. So a snout, pricked ears, or, you know, um, even dog tagged ears where, you know, one ear is uh, kind of floppy or both ears mm-hmm. are floppy. Depends on, you know, their, I think they're ranking in the, in the pack because alphas usually have standing up ears. But subordinates usually have had their ears yanked or, you know, this is why we don't let German Shepherd or any, any breed that is supposed to have standing ears, you don't let anybody mess with their ears or you don't let the puppies play together until that ear cartilage is strong right, right. because it can break down very easily. Tails, they, they have, um, you know, dog type feet, you know, and when I'm saying feet, I'm talking, you know, from the hock down. That is just like on your, your regular dog that you, you know, have at home. And that's why you don't see a heel impression. That's why you don't see the whole foot like you would with a Sasquatch or a human being. You're just seeing the paw pads as they press into the ground. But the, the arms, the arms have full articulation like a human would, but they have more, uh, um, their, their hands, you know, we're, we're looking at digits with claws. So just like human hands, um, but probably, you know, a little bit thicker pads on the, on the, the toes. So again, I guess I, I, I'm, I gotta go back to this and I'll, and I'll ask you again, what, what is it that we're dealing with though? Is this a, so there, there are so many theories out there. Um, I can honestly say there's nothing in the fossil record that shows them as having evolved here mm-hmm. on earth. We could be possibly looking at two other, you know, points of reference, which is they could be alien or they could be interdimensional. Or spiritual, paranormal, I would think. That, well, if they were paranormal, that that could be if, if they were a thought form made solid. But these things are seen all over the world. Which is also it's an very, interesting thing. And, and I want you to, I don't mean to interrupt you, hold on to that thought. I want you to go back. I want you to go back to it momently. But for the most part, when you talk about dogman, it's obviously not correct, but you know it's usually referred to as the Michigan dogman. Even even if it's not in Michigan, it's the Michigan dogman. Um, so carry on with your. But I would like you to get to uh, you know why why it's so synonymous with the state of Michigan when it is okay. in fact worldwide. Okay, so the, these upright walking canines, um, we don't know if they are a natural occurring species and we just haven't seen them in the fossil record, if they're alien, if they're interdimensional, if they're paranormal. But there is an interesting fact, and I came across this when I was writing my, my book on the Mothman. There is a creature that's called the Snallygasser. Now, this creature was very popular in the Appalachian Mountains because the moonshiners, had developed this tale of this creature, and this is how they explained all the booms and smoke and stuff like that. 
And this is how they kept the early alcohol bureau from going into the woods looking for their, their moonshine still. But it was said that the Stanley Gaster's only natural enemy was this wolf-dog type creature that stood on two legs and was over seven feet tall, and it was attributed to a Native American legend. Now, this is going back to the times when moonshine started. Mm -hmm. And these Appalachian hillbillies who were making the moonshine, they took this story from somewhere of this upright walking canine. That means that somebody had to have experienced an encounter with one. Yeah, it's got to start somewhere. Yeah, but that's in the Appalachian Mountains, which is like, you know, Pennsylvania all the way down, you know, through the Carolinas. Sure. You know, there's this report that, that, you know, or this this legend that this creature would come and fight the Stanley Gaster um, if they came into each other's territories, which makes you think, okay, so these guys who were brewing this illegal alcohol way back in the early, you know, 1800s up were talking about this upright walking cannon creature. So where did they get this legend from? Well, if they were talking to the Native Americans, which is, it goes back into the Native Americans because they knew of these upright walking dogs, man creatures. And the reason that we have so many, you know, um, references to the Michigan dog man is because Michigan originally, when it was first founded, was a fur and lumber territory. Right. That's what the trade routes were established for. Fur and lumber first, and then the iron ore afterwards, and the copper um, afterwards, because they didn't realize that uh, Michigan and the UP have, like, some of the purest copper you will ever find on the planet. The Phoenicians knew that, but the early settlers coming from France and Europe did not know this. They knew, one, animals, which meant, you know, fur, pelts, and lots of trees, which meant lots of lumber to build new homes, buildings, ships, whatever. So as these logging camps were moving throughout the state, the more to the west and north that they were going, the more encounters they were having. And we have one historical report that talks about this pack of dogs comes running into the camp, and we don't know if they were trying to steal the food from the the loggers, but we do know that the loggers got very irate with them. So they singled out one dog and they were trying to hit it with sticks and rocks until the dog stood up on its hind legs. And when was that? And then, per- and then a- pursued them back. Do we have a timeline on that? Do we know? That was that was in the 1800s. And one of the first Michigan sightings that got reported, was that not from like 1887 in Wexford County? Yeah. And, and so we've got, and then we've got another report that talks about these Two um, fishermen were out in their their canoe fishing, and they hear something moving through the water. While they turn and look, they see what they think is some poor coonhound swimming towards them. You know, and they're and they're taking pity on it. They're thinking, oh, some hunter probably left it because they didn't want it anymore. So they're they're calling the dog over to their canoe, and and we're like, okay, you know, we got ourselves a coonhound until it gets to the side of the boat, and it starts to climb into the boat with two front arms. That'd be terrifying. Yeah. So then they start paddling away and they're like, nope, we don't need a coonhound because uh, we don't know what the hell you are, but you are not getting in our boat. So they, they paddled away and they left it and you're led to believe that the whatever it was swam back into shore and, and went off into the woods. 
but uh, certainly uh, made, you know, these two fishermen think twice. And that report also happened in the 1800s. So you have these, you know, these reports of, and Ludington has become a very hot spot of activity for dogman sightings. Really? Um, because of these two legends. But I would say that the western side of the state, which is over in your area, that is where we get a lot of the reports from, from the western side of the state. But I do know up in the UP that there is a, a small 20-mile area where they are known. And I have a friend who is a, um, he's a book, Bigfoot researcher up there. He said, if you want to go see him, let me know and we'll pick some night when it's it's lightning out and you drive up and down the road and you see them. Are you comfortable you with, are you comfortable you with saying what part of Michigan that is? That that is in the upper part of the that's in the UP. Can you be more specific or would you at least tell me after um, we're done recording? Towards the Marquette area. Mm-hmm. Um before you get into the to the um Keweenaw Peninsula. Yeah. So um about I wanna say four years ago Maybe three years ago, I was actually coming back from Minnesota and I had a bunch of travel stories to do up in Keweenaw Peninsula. So hoping that as I, because I, I, you know, was coming Wisconsin into the UP, I was hoping that I would avoid this one route where my friend who's the Bigfoot researcher said, you will see them if it's lightning out, if it's a full moon, you will see them moving, you know, they, they, they don't come, you know, close to the road, but you know, you'll see them in the woods or in the farm fields. And I'm like, if I do this right, I can avoid this route. <laughs> and sure enough, when I get to the to the intersection where I can bypass that route and still get up to the Kuna, it says detour. And Sweet. it sends me right on that route. And, of course, at this point, it is thundering and lightning and downpouring. And it's 3 a.m. in the morning. So I am driving from that point two more hours up into the Kuna Peninsula and I'm just like, I know one of them's going to run out in front of me. I know it. I just know it. Even when I came up to stop signs, I didn't want to fully stop because I thought, sure enough, I'm going to stop at one of these, you know, stop signs and something's going to, you know, blam into the car or something like that. So I would like do a rolling stop. I didn't stop until I got into the Keweenaw, you know, peninsula and I stopped at a Walmart parking lot. And that's where I spent the rest of the night until the thunderstorm was done. I just kept on looking over at my little miniature pincher going, Oh, this is not good. This is not good. I, I do not want to be driving this route because I know that, you know, there is the possibility of running into these dogmen and I don't want to have that experience when it's thundering, it's lightning and it's downpouring. I just don't want to do that. Yeah. I, I don't blame you. Years ago, I used to, uh, go along with a, a fairly large group of guys up into the, uh, upper peninsula. Uh, the western side of the UP, which is uh, directly above Wisconsin. Where we would go fish is pretty much, if you took a dart and threw a smack dab in the middle of the, the western side of the UP, it was a, it was a town called Waters Meat. Oh, and, yes. Yes, that's where the Paulding, um, yeah, yeah, the Paulding Light. Waters yeah. Meat and in Bruce Landing, yep. you, you, can, you can find the Paulding Light. Yep. I, and, I know exactly where you're talking about. And I have been there uh, multiple times. I will say this. I There's been several shows that have done research on this, Paulding Light. Mm-hmm. And, and they all end up saying it's got to be some kind of weird reflection on the atmosphere from a road that's, you know, miles and miles away on the backside of the hill. You go look up 
Bruce landing on Google Earth and you look at the satellite, there is no road back there. <laughs> it's not. I, I've been to the polling lights. I've actually, I've been there a couple times and one of the times, this was, I want to say at least nine years ago, I had a, a male companion with me who is a, a woodsman guy. Uh-huh. Um, turn him loose in the woods and, and he'll come back with uh, uh, every edible plant and probably a deer <laughs> across his shoulders. But we were like, okay, so we want to we wanna check this out. And so he hiked all the way down the ravine and was halfway up the other side. And we had flashlights that we were um, communicating with. Yeah. And I would signal him when I saw the light. Yep. And he would signal back. And now, from where he was at, he couldn't see them at all, could he? Exactly. He could yeah. not see them. They were not above him. They were not, um, he, he could not see anything. And, you know, he would be, you know, now it's, it's, you know, for people who don't know what we're talking about, this is a, this is a very vast, wide gorge um, going down, I want to say a mile down into the ravine and then a mile up the other side. Mm-hmm. And he was halfway up the other side, and he wasn't seeing where these lights were starting from and emanating from. It literally happens every day. Doesn't matter oh, yeah. if it's raining, and, if it's snowing, if it's right. Uh, it 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 happens and, all the time. And the thing about the thing about the UP is, after dark, there are not that many cars that go up and down these these ma- two major highways. No. no. The the UP is very desolate. You do have your pockets of communities, but with the frequency that you will see, the, you know, you can stand there for an hour and you will see these lights start bouncing down the other side of this, you know, ravine. And you can, you can just sit there and count. I think when we were there, we saw 10. I can guarantee there was not within one hour, there was not 10 cars that came down yeah. this road that they say, you know, that the lights are beaming off of. And the interesting thing was when he, when my friend looked towards where I was, which was on the opposite side of where the lights were, he was not seeing headlights shining into the woods from, from that location. So you can see these lights. They, they are perfect balls of light and they are single lights. They're not two headlights. They're single lights that are bouncing they, they start bouncing down the, the side and then they will kind of bounce off to one side and then come back up. Yeah. Your, yeah, your, they, your they explanation are, of it is spot on because that's exactly what I saw. And I've, I've been there four times. Yep. Um, I, I, I've been there. I've been there about that, that many times too. And I'm like, I'm like, it's, it's not headlights. I'm sorry. No. You know, it's, it's not. And I videotaped it. The, I believe it was the third time up there. Uh, I took the family up with me. One night, we all decided we're going to go down see the lights, and the kids were super excited about it. And I don't know, they were probably 10, 12 years old, something like that. And I took a a camcorder with a a tripod, and uh, we set it up. And as dusk started to fall, not too shortly after that, the the light began to appear, and it was uh, fairly dim, and it seemed to... Uh, manifest uh, a bit brighter the the one thing that i will tell you and i caution myself to say this because i know people are going to be oh yeah sure whatever but uh literally during the course of trying to film it on three separate occasions 
all on that same night with full batteries. My, my camera went completely dead only to come back on again with full battery, but you know, okay. So maybe there was something wrong with the camera. No, because I, I think because when I tried to, to take pictures of it, now this was nine years ago, uh, when, when cell phones with cameras were just in their infancy mm-hmm. and digital cameras weren't, you know, weren't much better at that point. But I, I do remember I had issues with both my digital camera and my cell phone camera. Now it would be interesting to go back now with the tech that, you know, and cameras that I have available to me now and see what kind of stuff I can pick up because I can zoom in much, much better now and, and you know, showcase it better than uh, what it could be for. Well, and you, you talk about zooming in on it, and that was part of the issue. When the camera was operating correctly, the autofocus was having a hell of a time trying to keep up with the light source because the light, as it would move, as it would grow closer and then again drop back further, Actually, when on each of the four times that I've been there, there had been one one main light source that eventually, and it usually stayed yellow, yellow, a light yellowish to white. But on the the other three occasions, there were I do remember blue and green colored lights. I was lights. just about to say. I, the, I was just about to say they're you know they they are orangey, but it's not a headlight orange. It's yeah. it's a darker orange yep, than definitely. that but there is a you'll see that one but then you'll see these like bluish green and even like a, a purplish white one um and those were the are, one, those were the smaller ones and they come bouncing around down along the the tree line and it's the yeah, weirdest and, goddamn thing i ever seen exactly and you know for people who have never been to the falling lights but you've seen the shows so what they consider the headlights is these ones that are top at, at the very top. Yep. And you see them and then they're gone. What we're talking about is these orbs of light that it literally looks like they're bouncing mm-hmm. down the hill. If you get there before dusk, you see that that complete side, you know, your side of the ravine and the side of the ravine going up. Well, not only is, is it blocked off with a barricade so that you don't, drive over it right. but it's all trees yeah so unless there's a yeah, I mean, the, bird that, or owl out there that bounces from tree to tree but glows you know bright white or orange or green or purple mm-hmm. um you know that's not the explanation we, these and they're perfect orbs they're, they are round they are um you know you can see them and they're playful that's the the feeling i got from it was that they were they were playful. I mean, it was, they were just kind of melodically just bouncing around. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't, they don't really have any rhyme or reason. You know, they, they bounce around, you know, they might bounce straight down, but then they'll bounce to the other, you know, to the left or they'll bounce to the right and, you know, go back up, come back down. And it's like, so you're telling me that these free moving orbs of light are from a stationary headlight. That's coming in one direction down a road. Yeah, no, impossible. Exactly. I, I digress. So, um, the reason I brought that up, <laughs> we kind of cut off on a tangent. It's another fascinating thing. So if you're ever out in that area, it, it, it's a it's well worth the time spent to go see the Pauline Light because it is extremely unusual 
and yeah, when, seeing it in person, you, seeing it in person, you, you'll have a, a hell of a time trying to explain it. Um, but yeah, the, when, when you get to when you get to watch for for people who want to go, you know, investigate, go to Watersmeet. Go there. There's a casino right there, mm-hmm. and then you go maybe a mile down the road, and it will be um, if you're if you're coming if you're going north, and the the casino is on your right hand side. The road you're looking for is maybe a half mile down the road, and it goes down to a dead end. Yep, on your left hand side. Yep. And but you can you can stop into the gas station that's right there next to the casino, or even go into the casino and ask, you know, hey, how do I find the polling yeah. lights? And, and they'll tell you. Yeah. It's you know it's it's well known up there. And and the thing of it is, is on any any time you go up there, and and I'll get to why I brought this up. I promise I will. Anytime you go down there. The majority of the people that are there are locals. Yep. It's it's not, you have to understand that the middle of the Western UP of Michigan is not, don't get me wrong, a lot of people go up there fishing. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people go up there camping, but it's not a tourist area. It is, it is no. very far and few between businesses and homesteads are, it's just not a very populated area. Um, so yeah, if, most if of you want to, if you want to see modern ghost towns, go to the UP of Michigan because you will literally drive down a road and there will be four buildings at an intersection. They're all boarded up and abandoned. Yeah, and yeah. then you just keep driving. You can drive. I mean, sometimes you will drive two hours and uh, you might pass one house and one car, uh, but a dozen deer. You know? Yep. But it's a super interesting thing, and anybody who's into this kind of stuff, man, if you're ever out that way, definitely stop by. Now, the reason I brought that up, <laughs> and then we <laughs> then we took off with it, on the my second time of being up there, there I saw her the first time I was there, uh, but had no interaction with her. The second time I went up there, uh, the next year, uh, I actually engaged in a conversation with her, and basically when you get to where you can go no no farther there is a uh, a barricade that yeah. keeps you from being able to drive down this uh, laneway any further there was a woman who had a station wagon an old station wagon looked like the family truckster from uh, vacation movies and uh, her and her german shepherd were on the tailgate sitting on the tailgate of her her uh, station wagon and Oh boy, this woman had, she had stories. <laughs> I mean, it was outer space. It was aliens. It was this, it's that, you know, I had a couple of conversations with people and they're like, dude, this woman is out here like five times a week. <laughs> it's like her social hour to be out here. So I went over and I entertained a conversation with her for a little while. And, um, I'll never forget <laughs> that. You know, she was she was kind of giddy. Everything she said was kind of you know, kind of in a in a laughing way. But and and I don't you know, God, if she's listening, I, I'm, I don't I don't mean any disrespect for it, but kind of kind of in a crazy way, kind of like you know. Uh-huh. But I do remember the one thing she said is she's like, "You're walking down there," and I said, "Yeah," and she said, "Stay in the lane, don't go in the woods." And I was like, why is that? And she goes, food for the dog, man. And I was like, what? <laughs> she said, don't become food for the dog, man. And she went from being the, the kind of 
cackly, laughing, crazy lady to being like beady eyed and super, super serious when she said, don't go into the woods. Don't be food for the dog, man. And I was like, I'll be honest with you that that trip that I took there, I did not walk down the laneway. I stayed back at the girder and just watched from from where everybody else was at. Mm-hmm. But that smack dab in the in the part of the upper peninsula of Michigan where where these sightings are happening. And it's good. Yeah, it scared the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a road that goes, but it's overgrown now. It goes down one side, goes up the other, but it's all woods on each side of it. Mm-hmm. And from what my friend had told me, there is a, a stream or something at the very you know bottom because he, he ended up getting his boots wet and, and uh, I was like, oh man, now they're going to stink. Um, but, you know, he did have to have to cross, you know, uh, a stream to, you know, get over to the other side, but... Um, Man, we didn't we didn't encounter her when we were there. Um, I wonder if he would have <laughs> if he would have still got he would have still gone down <laughs> and gone up the other side. I, I'm not even going to kill about that. He would he would that would have given more incentive. But there was um, when we had gone, there was at that time um, a bunch of high school kids showed up. So I was just talking to them and having a conversation. They said, "Yeah, they said this this happens all year round. Doesn't yeah. matter what the weather is." Um, they said, you know, the, they said the, the, these high tech people from, uh, you know, these different institutes came out and, and they were, they were trying to tell us it was, uh, headlights and they're like, how are you going to see headlights when it's downpouring or when it's a blizzard snowing? Yeah. They said, we've come, we've come during that weather and we've come when it's the darkest night when it's, or when it's the full moon out and you still see the lights and they will, they, they show up. And they said, now you telling us that, that headlights can jump over there, jump over here, jump up, jump down, be bouncing back down the hill. And, and there I was said, a, and there was actually a, uh, I live, I live very close to the university of Notre Dame. There was actually a Notre Dame professor who spent 10 years of his summers investigating the Paulding light and never, never was able to come up with any feasible reason why they happen. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's been studied, it's been documented, you know, the, the, the quick and easy answer for anybody to say is, Oh, it's headlights, you know, coming off of this one highway. And also a lighthouse as well. Oh, that, that's, I, that's I, ha- I haven't heard the lighthouse yeah, one. That, I have that, not heard the lighthouse um, one. But it, you know, the light, the light from the lighthouse bends through the, uh, the atmosphere in some way, shape or form and then bounces bounces down onto the clouds or something like that. Yeah. But, but it would be a wave of, of light, not individual balls that are bouncing down. Um, right. And it would move from left to right. (laughs) I, I, I I tell, I tell anybody who, who wants to, you know, uh, actually, you know, investigate this, go up and spend at least two hours at, at night, you know, when it's dark out mm-hmm. and you watch the behavior of these lights and the movement patterns and you tell me that it's a, it's headlights. And I guarantee you, if you go up there and spend two hours, it will not feel like two hours because there is literally so much going on in those lights and with the, the little ones that come bouncing around down the, uh, the laneway 
and then do their little fairy dance or whatever the hell it is that's going on. There's so much going on that the time is going to pass like you won't believe. This is oh, this yeah. is not one of those phenomenon that you have to sit and wait and wait and wait, and then you get a brief glimpse of it, and then they're like, oh, yeah, that was it. No, this this is this is something that once it starts, it goes on and on, and you will end up leaving, and it's still going on. You'll have spent that much time there, and you'll just be like, okay, well, you know, we can't see any more than we've already seen, so. Right, right. All right, let's get back to Dogman. <laughs> we could do a whole show on the Pauline Light. Well, they're, they're, getting a, they're getting a twofer tonight. Yeah. Pauline Light and Dogman. No kidding. So uh, first real account in the state of Michigan in the 1800s, 1887-ish uh, in Wexford yeah, County. It was, it, it was in the 1800s. Now you've got, you've got the report from the logging camp. And then you've got the, the two fishermen reports. And then, you've, you know, you, you have some other reports in there. Um, what we do know is you can't um, – video that came out um, that was shown on Monster Quest, we do know that that's a hoax now, that it was somebody dressed up in a ghillie suit oh, and really? they, they filmed it so that they could promote this song um, that this DJ the had recorded. Yes. <laughs> the Legend of the Dog Man. Yeah. So we do know that that is a hoax, but that hoax was based on historical sightings that people have had on the west, you know, western side of Michigan for over, you know, a hundred years. Now I had heard, I was actually on vacation in Traverse City, Michigan, in 1987 when the song the legend came out and it was actually produced by a traverse city dj yeah. named uh steve steve cook i think yeah his admission as far as why he wrote the song and and did all that was you know that it had been something that had been in folklore for a long time in in the in the area but i guess what it what really prompted it was a an event that took place in 1986 in Manistee, Michigan. I, I believe when it came out, it was, uh, I believe it was October. So it was getting close to Halloween. Yep. But what about the 86 uh, sighting? Uh, Ray Greenway, I think his name was, in Manistee, Michigan. Do you know anything about that specific case? So I do know that the, so there was this video that was sent to the producers of Monster Quest, Doug Hychek, um, and his team of this. And, and when you watch the video, you're like, holy shit, what the hell is that? But it's this gentleman who, who is dressed up in a ghillie suit and he comes romping down this hill on all fours. Now, some people are saying that um, it's a hoax. Some people are saying it's real. The gentleman who, who sent in the video, who is also friends with Steve Cook, the DJ, came out after after Monster Quest, you know, um, film crew was questioning, you know, both of them. You know, where did you get the film? How was it produced? You know, um, who was filming it? Was really starting to ask questions because it was it was too good to be true. And then they were like, um, yeah, so we, we did hoax it. But there's supposed to be another video 
that people are claiming is actually a dog mask. But, you know, there, there's debate back and forth on whether that was hoax or if it was real, you know. And my thing is, if you have a dog man charging at you and you're standing there perfectly still to videotape it, because, you know, I don't care what you're videotaping it with, the fact that you're standing still while this large creature is, is, is charging towards you. Nope. And the fact that they are probably going to eat you or at least bite you and severely hurt you. Are you going to stand there with no barrier in between you and it and proceed to film? Yeah. No. Nope. So to me, <laughs> that because with human nature, anytime a unpredictable animal comes charging at a person, what do most people do? They run or they try to get some type of barrier in between them and, and the creature. Doesn't matter if it's a chicken. Doesn't matter if it's a horse. <laughs> doesn't matter if, if it's, if it's a uh, cat. Um, if it's looking like it wants to, you know, hurt you, most people run and they, they try to get themselves in a safer area. They don't stand there and film it. Right. So, for me, um, that is my red flag for whether these videos are real or, or, or you know, hoaxed. I think that they, they are hoaxed, as was admitted originally. But, you know, there's always the conspiracy theories of, no, the guy just said that so that, you know, the, the government would back off. Okay, the federal government doesn't care if you're, you know, filming these things or not. Um, now, if you had one penned up in your backyard... Yeah, they might take, you know, notice of that. But most of the time it's going to be dismissed as a hoax, you know, video unless you can, you know, really prove that it's real. And that is turning it over to um, people who do the forensic video um, in, in photo analysis. Right. And having them say, okay, yeah, this is, you know, we watched it frame by frame. And as far as we can tell, this is real. Or... Yes, the film might be real, but the creature in it is fake. Correct. Yeah. You know, we've been able to digitally scan it and look at all parts of it, and we picked out these details that prove that it's a ghillie suit or, you know, it's this, you know, furry suit. So, you know, that type of evidence is, is uh, what I like to, to get my hands on and, and see what other experts have, you know, looked at. Now... Well, and the the, I'm, I'm sorry, but the other thing is, as long as we're talking about, you know, these, these video clips and stuff, you know, that are, uh, are questionable or, you know, end up being hoaxes. One of the red flags for me is when the video just starts with this creature X and then you have anywhere from 20 seconds of footage and then the, the video just stops yeah. I want to see I want to see the 30 seconds leading up to it and I want to see the 30 seconds after it. I want right. I want to know I want into the I want into the boring shit before you saw the the entity and then I want to see the the craziness that ensues after you you've, you've seen the entity. Because just to show me something that's coming at you on all fours which is really into script and you know i mean obviously when you see the video it, it's it's kind of shocking because it, it doesn't look right it doesn't look like it should be doing what it's doing and uh but you know i'm not seeing 
you walking up to that point. I'm not seeing you see that creature from a, a, a good distance away and then making your way closer to it. Those, right, are, the, those are the things that I need to see. Yeah, because most most people, when, you know, if they're hiking, if they're out in their, you know, yards or whatever, and you see, you know, if, if you have a cell phone nowadays and, and it has a, you know, camera on it, if you're out in your yard and you see a deer or you see a bird that you've never seen before, most people are going to pull out their cameras and they're going to take pictures or they're going to record until the bird or the animal leaves the property. Exactly. And you don't get that this with this. You you get basically an eight you know millimeter film of this you know creature charging down this hill in a ghillie suit. Um, which if if you don't know what a ghillie suit is, it's this was made for the military so that they can basically hide in any type of foliage, whether it's green, brown, black, and the material on it. It's like a netting with these leaves and stuff on it, but they're smaller. So you blend right in, but the gentleman, you know, and some of it, um, has like a mossiness to it, mm-hmm. um, like Spanish moss. So when you see this video, this guy is on all fours and he comes bounding down this hill with this, with this ghillie suit, this, uh, mossy meshing on him. And, you know, it looks like this creature is, is charging towards this guy. And then the guy pans, you know, um, to the side and you see these older you know, snowmobiles and then it cuts off. And so they, they try to play it off. Like it's, it's like it's a found case or found footage. Mm-hmm. But honestly, if it, if it didn't come from like the, the sheriff's department who came out to investigate, you know, why this family went missing and actually has the tag, you know, sheriff's department and, you know, right. police evidence, then, you know, I'm not going to believe, uh, you know, this footage because it's, it's like you said, you know, okay, cut. And, you know, and it was over with. Yes, exactly. While we're on the subject of debunking, I have some audio here that I'm pretty sure you have not heard. Okay. And I am going to play this for, for everyone to hear. And then uh, let's, let's break down what we've heard afterwards. Okay. Oscar Emergency, this is Kyle speaking. How can I help you? Hello? Something just ran in front of us on the road. We're in the ditch. We, we rolled over. How many people are in the car and is anyone injured? There's two of us. I, I, th- I don't think we have any injuries. Is the car on its top or wheels or what? No, it's kind of sitting on its side. Hold one moment, please, while I contact emergency services. Okay. Okay, the state police should be on their way in a few minutes. Is everyone still okay? Yeah, I think we're okay. What ran in front of you? A deer? I I don't know what the hell it was, but it was big. It looked like a great big dog. Standing up. Was it a bear, maybe? Maybe, I don't know. Sir? Hello? Are you still there, sir? 
Okay, now apparently this was from Troy, Michigan, and that is supposedly an actual OnStar recording, and this happened in 2006. Terrifying if it's real, but let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the problems with this. <laughs> yeah. Well, first thing, with it being in 2006, um, I do not remember hearing or seeing any news reports of a vehicle being attacked by a animal that was, you know, flipped on its side from Troy. My I would think that that would make not only the the local news, but national news, you know, being somebody who knows that area, you know, Troy, Troy um, and Rochester, Rochester Hills. It's, it's kind of industrial um, because there's lots of different machine shops, tool shops, but it's also residential. And you do have, a, you know, some pockets of wilderness here and there, but I'm, I'm thinking they would have, if this was true, they would have had to have been out on some back road somewhere. Um, and if you're on your side, um, on the side of the road in your car, that area is very, um, there's lots of traffic. It's not like the UP. It's not like, um, you know, Fowlerville. It's not like, uh, you know, Holland or, you know, any of these areas where you have lots of farm and, and you know, wide open spaces. There, I, I'm sure there are farms. I know there's orchards over in that area. I, I, I kind of, you know, I... I get some red flags of, um, unless it's from actually OnStar. That's, that's how it's advertised that, well, it's not advertised as coming from, it's not being put out by for public consumption by OnStar, but apparently see, that's the other thing. How do you get the recording from OnStar to begin exactly. with? And if you listen to the recording carefully, you know, they're on their side, which means only one door is available to to be entered through, right? Right. So this dog man <laughs> would have to have come to the to the side of the car that was upright or through the front windshield. But my biggest problem with it is that OnStar is an emergency service that is designed to operate in almost any situation that that car might be in. Right. And OnStar is actually through the vehicle itself. Correct. Not the, not the cell phone. So how, how would they have, because it, towards the end of it, it sounds like they're disconnected and it's like, no, (laughs) the, the OnStar person is supposed to be able to, communicate with you until emergency services, ambulance, fire truck, police car arrives and they confirm, they confirm that they, that the officers are on site. So the, an officer actually says, yes, you know, officer so-and-so here. Thank you on star for, you know, staying on the line and we've got it from here. That's yeah. when they disconnect. So either Dogman took his long, uh, clawed finger and reached over the uh, the inhabitants of the vehicle and pushed the little OnStar button to disconnect. Or it tore the car apart and severed the electrical connections from the OnStar service to the battery. 
And if that was the case, you would think that there would be a massive report going out of, hey, you know, this, uh, on the news, on, on everything, um, radio that, you know, look out for this uh, vicious animal that is, you know, uh, you know, forcing cars off the road and breaking into them. Uh, we did not get, the, you know, any of those reports. To me, what it sounds like is, is three people who had their lines down very, very well yep. and made a, a hoax call um, because there is no, like you said, it says it's from OnStar, but was it released by OnStar? And how exactly, whoever posted this, how exactly did they come across this track, gain access to it from a, a private you know, service company and was able to publicly, you know, post it. Exactly. So we've covered some some things that are, are hoaxes and uh, well done, though. I mean, it, it was it's in it's entertaining. It's enter- enjoyable, enjoyable, um, but obviously uh, not real. A common friend of ours, Blake Desure from the Lost Cryptids Conservatory, um, days before. I met him in uh, at the Dewey Lake Convention this past uh, November, I believe it was. Days before that, said he had a dogman sighting. One ran right out in front of him on the road while him and his uh, he and his wife were were driving. Yep. What is it? What is it about Bigfoot and Dogman that so commonly are reported roadside? Well, because roads, animals, humans, any living creature is going to take the path of less resistance. So there's a reason why people, it's been reported for a long time that Bigfoots love, you know, these power lines that go throughout the countryside and there's a Mm -hmm. huge swath of area, you know, land that's cleared on both sides of them. And it's like, it's like a pathway. Bigfoots love that because they they can easily walk through that. They can easily keep an eye on the edges so that if they do have young, their young are not you know um, ambushed. They're not ambushed, but it's it's an you know it's for them that's a natural roadway. So animals, you know, if there if there's a a game trail, that's why you know animals use it. They they like these paths of least resistance because. Nobody, I don't care if you're human, you're Bigfoot, Dogman, you're a moose, you're a wolf, you're a kayak or, or a coyote or, you know, a raccoon. Nobody likes to get hit in the face with leaves or thorns <laughs> yeah. or branches that split apart and, and, you know, get stuff in your eyes. Nobody likes that. So we like to follow paths. And that applies to, you know, Dogman and Bigfoot. If they haven't, if they're following a path and at least, you know, to get to the other side of the path, they have to cross the road. Well, if the road's flat and even, you know, that's an easy path. It's just easy to walk around. Now, sometimes, you know, they, they do it when there's cars coming. Uh, we know deer do it all the time. Why does the chicken cross the road? But deer do it, bear do it, humans do it. You know, it's just roads are, are not really a barrier, but a 
path of less resistance to travel to somewhere else. So, and if they're smart as we think they are, if if they, oh, they're they're, they're if, intelligent. If they, they have they the are, if they have the intelligence that we give them credit for, they probably also realize that hunting does not happen near roads. Unless unless you are an opportunist and you and your, your pack, you, you kind of hang out in the woods because you know that there's deer in the area and chances are at some point those deer are going to cross the road and get hit. No, I meant from the standpoint of having to worry about humans oh, shooting okay. near a road. You know, oh, just right. like just like deer become accustomed to, you know, hunting season and areas that are um, permeated by hunters during the season, they stay out of that area. So what I'm getting at is, you know, if they're smart enough to realize that there's usually no shooting along the roadside edges, that's probably a pretty good indication that that's a safe area to travel. All they have to do is play, you know, Frogger with the cars and semi-trucks. <laughs> well, I, you know, and, and it depends on what time of the year it is, too. You know, most most species, when they realize that there are humans in the woods, they are going to hunker down and they are going to find a hiding spot. So we know during the fall, that's when all the deer are trying to cross the road. So why be, you know, why be where the humans are when you can just keep an eye, you know, monitor this stretch of road. And when a deer gets hit, you just drag it off the side of the road and you have a, you have a free meal mm-hmm. and you, you know, the areas where the humans will go and you know, the areas that they won't go. So that's, you know, you, you stick to the areas where the humans don't go. All right. Have you got any, have you got any good, solid, recent stories that, that will set, uh, set our listeners on the ear? Um, <laughs> um you know, I haven't gotten any reports recently of any dog band activity, but I do have two reports from two different people about a very similar creature. Now, one report comes from um, just south of, of Traverse City. Um, along old 127, and one comes from the Midland area. Now, both of these people reported seeing an animal that they described as being the size, height-wise, and body, you know, dimension-wise, of a camel, but more bulky like a bear, Camely colored, you know, that, that reddish brown, but he had these weird little um, fox type ears, almost comical looking is what the one gentleman told me. Had a snout, had padded feet, they could tell no hooves, but padded feet, and it was able to cross the two lane roads in one bound. Now, when they got to the area where they, you know, the animal had passed and they looked into the woods in this, or the field where it had crossed into, there was nothing there. The one report from the Traverse City area, this was um, 
early November. And this, the woman who had the sighting, this creature crossed in front of an ambulance and then her vehicle was behind it. Her husband was with her in the vehicle and she never got to talk to the ambulance driver. They were transporting her neighbor to, to the hospital who was having a heart attack. But she went back the very next day. Now this woman hunts, you know, she, she had her gun with her and she was, you know, ready to take it on. But she went back the next day and she could not, she said this was an animal that had to weigh a couple hundred pounds or heavier. She said, I could not find any tracks on either side of the road. And I, I mentally knew exactly where this creature had crossed the road. I could not find any tracks. I could not find paw prints. I could not find hoof prints. I could not find claw marks. It's like something that big. The ground was not that hard. Something that big had to have left tracks, and it didn't. Now, the other gentleman who saw it in the Midland area said that as he, he passed by where it had crossed the road, he's looking off into an open farm field, and he's not seeing anything. Hmm. And he's like, where could it have gone? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I wasn't with you to observe the, the you know, what the animal did. But, you know, he, he was very, you know, uh, definite in his, his description of it. He did not, now he did not go back to look for tracks or anything like that. Um, he was spooked and, and, you know, uh, it was a couple of months afterwards that he sent me his report and was like, you know, this has been on my mind and I just wanted to tell somebody about it. Um, now it's interesting because Midland, uh, to up to the Traverse City area, um, that is an easy territory for a large creature to cover. If you consider that wolves can do 40 miles in a day. Yeah, that's a that's an incredible so, amount of so, distance they can travel. So, an animal that that has a known route to it that it knows where its food sources, water sources, and sleeping areas are, uh, that is not a a you know a huge area to cover if you're going from spring to fall um, and you're you know you're circling around um, to all the different farms, orchards getting food, and then, you know, we don't know if this creature is a carnivore, an omnivore, or a, a vegetarian. So we don't know quite what its food sources is, but there are enough different resources within that upper Michigan area that it could have a second choice, and it could, it could even wander over to the Lake Michigan shoreline and wait for salmon. Uh, you know, to, to walk up on shore to eat. So, you know, it really just depends on, you know, what its, what its food um, diet is and what kind of areas it likes to sleep in. Bigfoot and dog man. Mortal em- enemies? Buddies? Hunting partners? What do you think? Um from from my discussions with other Bigfoot researchers, what they have noticed is they will observe Bigfoot in an area for a long time. But as soon as a dog man enters the territory, the Bigfoot pack up and leave. Now, this, this can be uh, for various reasons, but my thought is 
if the Bigfoot family groups are, are like anything like the ape or the chimp, um, you know, populations, you, you have males, but you only have one or two males to a group of, of females. They, and then eventually children, the yeah. females, eventually the females will chase off that male or he will be chased off by another rival man, male, because you always want to keep the genetic blood, you know, line mm-hmm. kind of, you know, mixed up because doubling back on stuff isn't good. Sure. Now, if you have these, these populations of females, what do females do? They reproduce. What is a female's primary goal must is to protect their young. So if you know that you have a large predatory animal or a pack of large predatory animals moving into your location, then your first instinct is I, I have to protect my young. I have to protect my family. We are going to leave this location. We are going to move somewhere else and hope that the dog man doesn't follow because I don't want to lose my offspring. Makes sense. So I would say that Bigfoot and Dogman are definitely not uh, friends. I do know that the Bigfoot sometimes will hunt hand in hand with coyote packs, but that is just being an opportunist and and taking the you know as soon as the, the coyotes make a kill, they they go in and they take the the kill you know from the coyotes and, and enjoy it themselves. You know because Bigfoots are an omnivore; they will eat protein, particularly uh, deer meat. We know that they like to eat fish. Uh, mussels and clams are, are, you know, very good food. So we do know that they will they will follow the coyote pack because coyotes are very vocal when they're hunting, and they give away. They they are not very good um, uh, war games. You know, they they give away their location constantly. You know, you you can if you if you go and you sit in in uh, these fields at night, um, you can hear them. And they are just like, whoa, 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 whoa. they are noisy and they give away their locations, which Bigfoot's are like, hey, free meal. Um, but the dogmen do not do that. They, they have their own hunting pack and they, you know, they take care of themselves. That's interesting. You say that uh, Sasquatch and uh, coyotes hunting together. Um, actually, one of, <clears throat> one of my listeners uh, some time ago, had sent me some photographs of prints in a trackway on the beach in front of Sugarloaf Mountain in uh, Upper Michigan. And her, her husband wears a size 12, and his foot is pictured next to her. She says his foot measures 11 and a quarter inches. This print is, now the odd thing is it's it's extremely narrow like his foot is, but the the big toe, all of the toes, are are a good three and a half to four inches further extended than what his his toes are. So it's a rather long print. The thing that strikes me as odd is it's 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 narrow. Um, Which I mean, it could have been a it could have been a female too. Yeah, or or a juvenile yeah. that hadn't uh, hadn't got all its weight yet. Right. Um, so, but the interesting you know, the interesting thing though is that this trackway and the pictures that she she showed me they are in a in a straight line, not like what humans walk, you know, straddling a two by four, you know, one foot on either side of it. These are in a perfect straight line, but alongside of it are large wolf prints. So and, and that's the only thing so, that's on the beach. 
so we could we could look at two possible scenarios. Either it was a young female and she was being pursued by a a dog man, or you have a a human person with very large narrow feet who had a large dog and was walking on the beach. Judging from, um, I'm actually looking at the picture of her husband's foot in the print. If that was the case, this person would have to wear a, a size 16, 16 or 17. That That's a, that's a big human foot. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that, that gives us, you know, the impression that, you know, this was probably a Sasquatch and maybe she did have, uh, you know, a canine companion with her, you know, coyotes or wolves. Maybe they, maybe one was following the other to the water source, or maybe there was dead fish that were, you know, rolling into shore that they had consumed and then taken advantage of. Yeah. And I guess I was looking at it from the standpoint of, uh, they were working in tandem thinking that it, maybe it was an actual wolf and it was accompanying whatever left but, the prince. But, you, know, that, you know, that's more, um, you know, that's more wilderness area. So it could have been a wolf. Um, you know, I know where I am. Uh, we have foxes and we have coyotes. Those are our two wild, you know, canines that are, are in this area. Um, wolves, you know, that's way north of me. So for me, I would say... If I had found, you know, those tracks around here, which I'm not by any of the Great Lakes, I'm actually in the middle of the state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a two-hour drive either way for, you know, Lake Huron or Lake uh, Michigan uh, for me. So um, for me, if I had found those tracks, my assumption would be that it was a very large coyote with a um, either a Bigfoot or a, somebody who has very large, weird feet um, because that's what I have in my area. Now, if you're looking at more wilderness areas, you know, the coastlines of the Great Lakes, uh, they just, you know, the, the Great Lakes are so vast and the beach lines are so, you know, long that it's impossible for, like, a human to be observant of the whole coastline. So there's things that come and go at night. There's things that, you know, when humans aren't there. So sure. we never know. All we, all we see is the evidence that they leave behind, which is footprints or, you know, kill sites or, you know, sometimes if we're lucky hair um, that hasn't been contaminated by everything else, all we really have is, is the leftover evidence. And look at all that it gives us to talk about. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Did you, did you happen to take uh, a report from Blake on his, uh, on his dog man sighting? No, no, I didn't. We, we talked about it and, um, I know that, that he is part of, well, I'm part of the group now too, of the lost, you know, cryptid conservancy. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I, I kind of, you know, he's an investigator and, um, you know, that's part of, you know, his group's cases, you know, he told me about it and it was, you know, his report. So, um, I, you know, I, I think he should, you know, be the one investigating it and, and, you know, his, uh, companions with the, or his, you know, group, um, with the lost, you know, cryptids. Um, for me, I, I only investigate what the North American Dogman Project sends me because my, my workload is, is quite high with everything else I do, uh, with writing with the magazines 
researching and investigating haunted locations. Um, I'm doing a expedition to Lake Champlain this year for, for Champ, the lake monster. Um, and then Bigfoot in Salt State, you know, park. Um, so, you know, my, my downtime is actually from January to like, uh, beginning of March. And that's when I just kind of sit back and, and just write. And do podcasts. And I also, and, and, and I, and I do my podcast, but then I also teach at two different community colleges and I'm actually trying to fit something in in August that if I do, it'll be great for one of the magazines that, um, we're, we're we just, the magazine company that I write for is Squatch DQ Inc. Um, we've just added a new title and it's Dinosauria. So we'll be interviewing paleontologists and writing articles about different, uh, paleo finds, um, you know, whether it's a shark tooth or it's a new species of, of, uh, dinosaur. Um, oh, interesting. And museum exhibits and, you know, always loved dinosaurs. I've always been fascinated with dinosaurs and prehistoric creatures all my life. So I'm really excited about this magazine. And some people might think that dinosaurs and cryptozoology go together. And, you know, in certain aspects they do, but, you know, there, there's our staunch, you know, experts who say, no, dinosaurs are, are, are gone and uh, extinct. And uh, whatever people are seeing nowadays, it's a figment of their imagination. And it's like, okay, you keep believing that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I keep an open mind. So this, this gives me a chance to pursue research and articles and interviews with people into dinosaurs and the paleontologists to the curators at museums and to uh, go to, you know, fossil sites and, uh, you know, talk about dinosaurs. And that's, you know, uh, one of my favorite topics, topics you know, uh, to talk about also. You like to talk about a lot of things. You've, oh, yeah. you, you've I, got I, a I, lot I, of favorite you know, subjects. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, the world's just too big and interesting to narrow it down to like, you know, two subjects. I mean, I just, you know, that's, that's too boring of a life. Exactly. You know? <laughs> that's, that's like saying, oh, what are your favorite colors? Well, I like white and I like gray. And I like black. <laughs> it's like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sheetan, before we end up having to rename a podcast, the uncomfortable liminal abyss, um, <laughs> again, we, each time we talk, it, it goes incredibly fast. And I don't know that we clear up anything for the listeners, but we certainly don't muddy the waters either. Hopefully, this episode will be as well received as, as the last one we did with you. It was a uh, it was a joy to have you on again. Keep my name in your in your phone because you're going to see it popping up again here. Uh, oh yeah, I, I definitely have you on my phone. Yep. <laughs> Shitan Noir, thank you so much for being with us again tonight. This wraps up another episode of Uncomfortable. Well, thank you for having me on the show, and it's it's always enjoyable to talk cryptids, paranormal, UFOs, dinosaurs, all that good stuff, weird travels, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again, and uh, can't wait till next time. Thank you, Shadan. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me this evening. Remember, if you're interested in, in the area, May 15th, Saturday. West Branch, Michigan. 
Bigfoot Discovery Days conference and town hall meeting. I'll have a booth there supporting the show. So stop by and say hello. And maybe pick up a t-shirt before you go. If you haven't yet, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All at Uncomfortable Podcast. Don't forget to visit iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. If you have an uncomfortable experience and would like to be featured on an upcoming episode, email us at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.